Let's pray. Lord, you are always with us, always wanting us to learn more about your way, your will. And so we come before you and we give you thanks for the fruit of the Spirit and what we have been learning because you have given us this fruit, Lord. But we have been understanding what we need to do more to employ this fruit into our lives. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon us in this time as we finish today. And we give you thanks in the name of Christ. Amen. You probably hear parents say all the time, have you heard what my kid did lately? I know I say it all the time. Maybe not exactly in that way. But, but parents, we talk about our children a lot, don't we? We talk about them because we're excited about what they're doing. We're proud of what they're doing. My daughter is just finishing up um, working at Biola for what's called SOS. She is a leader, and the freshmen come in you know, a week before school starts, and they, they try to acclimate the freshmen into the school, get them comfortable. And so she is a leader of a group of freshmen helping to do that. I'm really excited that she's taken on that leadership role. My son, thanks to Ben, got an interview at Northrop, got an internship at Northrop, had a great a 10 weeks of internship, had really great uh, reviews, exit reviews from his uh, higher-ups, and officially got an offer from Northrop. Yes. And even better, he accepted the offer. <laughs> so he starts somewhere around August 31st of next year. He always has a start date. Isn't that amazing? And so we're really excited for him, and he'll even get to live at home for a little bit, save up some money, and we'll get to have him around for a little bit more. So we're excited about all that he is doing um, in his life. You know, it's one thing when you, when you talk about the accomplishments of someone, someone else. It's another thing when you start talking about the accomplishments for yourself, right? Kind of sounds prideful, doesn't it? Oh, do you want to know what I've done lately, Right? And you start talking about your accomplishments and people look at you a little funny, right? There's this interesting balance between talking about our accomplishments and saying, yes, I have done good things, and not sounding prideful. Romans 12:3, and when you see yellow, please read the yellow with me. Uh, Paul says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. See, we want to think good of ourselves, but we don't want to be prideful, right? This morning, we're going to finish our series on the fruit of the Spirit called Winning the War Within. As we've been dealing with these battles that we have within us, now the fruit of the Spirit helps us to get past that. We're going to look at the last three, faithfulness, gentleness, or some translate that as humility, and self-control. And I want to talk about the balance of knowing that we are good and talented and capable in the Lord, but that we can't allow our pride to affect our faithfulness for God, our following God faithfully. We can't allow our pride um, to get to us so that we cannot be humble before God. We cannot allow our pride keeping us from being controlled in our lives. And so, let's start with uh, faithfulness. And under faithfulness, I want to talk about three things 
and this is not an exhaustive list, but three things that, that help us to be faithful, to live faithfully to God. And the three things are you'll see in your outline that it's being submissive, being teachable, and being considerate. So first of all, there is being submissive. Now, being submissive is not always that easy because we live in a society that teaches independence, right? From the very beginning, we're trying to teach our kids to be independent. You know, the world is saying, do it for yourself, right? You need to get to the place where you are self-sufficient, right? And so when you hear this word submissive, it, it doesn't quite resonate with us. You might hear something like this, don't lean on others, you don't need to. You were born with two feet for a reason, right? Rely on yourself. You can do it. You don't need other people. And so we get this message constantly talked to us, and then all of a sudden we come to uh, be Christians and we're told to be submissive. We're not supposed to, to plan our own lives on our own. We're not supposed to do just what we want to do. We're supposed to look to what God has for us, for what God, the will of God for our lives. You know, kids are often asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And when, when we would ask our kids that when they were little, Tiffany said she wanted to be a librarian and a school teacher. Sounds good, right? And then Tyler, when he was really little, he said, I want to be a professional baseball player. Well, that sounds really good, but not so easy, right? Not so easy. When you ask little kids what they want to be, they're not thinking about what does God have for me in my life, Right? They're just thinking about what sounds good or what sounds fun or what do I like to do right now, right? And then we, we get older and we, we try, try to uh, listen to what God has for us. We try to say, what is the plan? What is the, the will of God in my life? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, it says, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then the psalmist tells us this in Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes, talking to God, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me. And so God has these plans to prosper us. And God has ordained these plans, right, for our life. So if God has designed for our life what he wants us to do, shouldn't we... Take the time to seek God and to know God and understand his will and follow that will he has for our life. Now, that doesn't mean that he, he says, okay, take a step, and then you take a step, and then you wait, and you're like, okay, take another step. Okay, God, I'm taking a step. I'm waiting. Right? I heard a crazy illustration one time about a, a woman who went to the extreme, right? She, she would lay in bed until she felt like the Lord was saying, okay, now it's time to get up. And then she would go to her closet and she would wait until she felt like God was guiding her to, you know, what, what shirt are you going to wear and what pants are you going to wear? You know, okay, put your leg in your right leg and put, right? And sometimes she wore shoes and sometimes she didn't wear shoes because she felt like sometimes God told her to wear shoes and didn't tell, right? I mean, that's a bit extreme, right? That's a bit crazy. That's not what these verses are talking about. God has a design in our life. God has a plan, I mean, you can be an electrical engineer, or you can be a mechanical engineer, or you can be a teacher, or you can be a, a postal worker. I mean, that God, does, it doesn't say in the Bible that, you know, your exact job, does it? But there's an overall will that God has for our life, an overall plan that he has, people that he wants us to encounter and talk to, and, and whose lives he wants us to touch. 
There's, there's people who, who have needs that, that God says, you're the one that's going to meet that need today. Are we listening to God's will? Are we letting God guide us in what we're doing? Jesus himself gives us a great example. In Matthew 26, 42, right before he knew he was going to be arrested and tried and crucified, after he had the, the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and in Matthew 26, 42, as part of Jesus' prayer, he went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Right? The humanness of Jesus was kind of struggling, as all of us were, thinking about being beaten and crucified. Just imagine that, okay? If you knew something like that was going to happen to you, right? Knowing that, the intensity and the stress that that would put on your mind and on your, your emotions, knowing that you are going to suffer in that way. You could just imagine the agony that he was feeling as he was praying, thinking about having to go through that. And, and there's a part of him that's like, Lord, is there a way, Father, is there a way to take this away? Maybe I don't have to do this, right? If you ever had to do that, you knew you had to do something that you really, really didn't want to do, and you're like, do I really have to do this? Do I really? Oh, I, I don't want to do that, right? You try to get out of it in some way, right? But he, he knew the will of God was so important. May your will be done, Jesus said. And that's what God calls from us in being submissive. May your will be done. A second way that we show our faithfulness to God is by being teachable. I think I mentioned this before, but it was really an amazing experience for Tammy and I. About the same time, I mean, the kids are different ages, but I mean, when they were both at second grade age, they got to that place where they felt like they knew everything. You probably, as parents, you probably dealt with that your kid at some point, right? Where they think, I know everything now. Second grade, that's eight years old. We were really surprised that, you know, they had this attitude. Like, okay, so if you don't ever learn anything else ever in your life, you're ready to go, right? Yes, Dad. <laughs> wow, okay. You know, now you would ask them, they'd like, no, that was crazy talk back then, right? But the, all of our kids get to this place, all of us get to this place where we thought at one point, you know, I, I know it all. I'm pretty good. In fact, you might have heard the illustration where it says when kids are young, they think their parents know everything. Then when kids get to be teenagers, they think their kids know nothing. And then they get to college and think, wow, my parents learned a few things. They know some stuff again. And then they get to be parents themselves and say, wow, my parents are really smart. And they seek us for advice, right? And we do that with God, don't we? We get to that place where we think, I'm good, God. I know what I'm doing. I know what's going on. I don't need you right now. If I need you, I'll seek you out, right? And we kind of go through life thinking that we kind of have it together and we know what's going on. And when we're in this place, we're not teachable. We don't have a teachable spirit. kind of goes back with being submissive, too. We can't be submissive to God's will because we're not even willing to learn to be taught by God in this time. But when we have that teachable spirit, we understand that we should always be in that learning mode, right? It's not just through college. Once you're done with college, you start learning, right? No, we're always in this learning mode. We're always in this place where we can be taught. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Remember, that. read the yellow with me, please. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? 
teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we should be learning in all kinds of different errors, but definitely in the Scripture. The Scriptures are there to constantly teach and rebuke and correct and train us. In fact, you could read the same verse every day for the rest of your life, and if you had a teachable spirit, God could teach you through that one verse every single day. There's something that God could teach you to remind you, lead you, guide you. We need to have that teachable experience if we're going to be faithful to God. Jesus said these important words in Matthew 25, 40. He said, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers. Oh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Oh, we're getting to the faithfulness, we're getting to being considerate. So what I mean about being considered this third way, so where we are submissive to God, that shows faithfulness. We're teachable to God, that shows faithfulness to God. And lastly, we are considerate of others. So what I mean is being considerate of others is caring for the needs of others, being, having our eyes open so we're aware that there's people around us that have needs. God calls us to faithfully serve him, right? And Jesus himself shows us a great example in Philippians 2, 3-5. Where Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, right? How did Jesus show consideration of others? He didn't show consideration for himself. He left heaven. He resided in a human body. He came to this earth. He lived among the, the people. And ultimately, he gave himself for us, right? He saw our need. He knew that he could meet that need by dying for our sins. And he died for our sins. Now we get to Matthew 25, 40, where Jesus says... The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. God wants us to think about others. God wants us to see the needs of others. God wants us to care for the needs of others. We want God to do that for us. God wants us to do that for others. That's how God created us. That's how God directs us to be considerate of the needs of others maybe even sometimes above our own needs. So it starts with the right characteristics, right? Being submissive, being teachable, and having a considered attitude. And these are, are demonstrative in our, in our life, right? We see them acted out or we see them not acted out. It's pretty easy to see if someone's being submissive to the will of God or not. It's pretty easy to see if someone has a teachable spirit or not. It's pretty easy to see if someone is caring for the needs of others or they just care about themselves. It's pretty easy to see the fruit of faithfulness at work in someone's life or not. So maybe you want to reflect on these questions. Questions like, how is it that you show faithfulness? How is it that you are submissive to the will of God? How is it that you are exhibiting a teachable spirit? In your faithfulness, did you just, do you come to church and you say, I'm being faithful because I come to church each week? Or I'm being faithful because I open the word of God and every once in a while I read the Bible? 
Now, these are important, but faithfulness shows itself in the, every aspect of your life, right? Our whole life is given to God, and we say, God, I want to be faithful to you. Direct me, guide me, lead me. Let me live for you in your will and in your plan. But secondly, we get to the fruit of gentleness, or as I said before, some, some translated as humility. Now, what's interesting, this is a, a little bit challenging of a word, uh, the Greek word is proetis, and some translate it gentleness, some translate it humility, some translate it as uh, meekness. And you see these words, and, and they might have different meanings to you, right? You, you look at the word gentleness, and you think of someone who's maybe kind-hearted, right? Or you think of someone who's humble, hum humility maybe, is someone who doesn't uh, uh, have this high self-esteem or, or pridefulness, right? Or maybe somebody that doesn't even think high of themselves. You know, maybe someone has a low self-esteem you might think of as humble. Or you think of the word meekness and someone who doesn't dominate a, a situation, right? Kind of holds back, doesn't want to be in the, in the forefront. And so each of these English words will give us a different connotation, right? Sometimes even a negative connotation when you think about these words. And so we need to understand that this fruit of gentleness, meekness, humility, this proetis, is actually a combination of these three words. There's aspects of each of these words that are true to, to this eighth fruit of the Spirit. It's about the way we relate to others. It's about the way we think of ourselves and, and not having a, a pretentious demeanor. We need to have the perspective that this fruit, this fruit of humility, is powerful, not weak. Some would say that it is strength under control. Right? You have this strength, but it's under control, right? You don't unleash it on someone. You don't use it in, in harsh or, or hurtful ways. You have this power of God working in and through you, but you're humble because you hold back, and you only use this power that God gives you in ways that bless others. To be gentle and humble, then, is to have a calming effect on others. So sometimes someone might get angry, right? But you have this calming effect on them. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so someone who has this fruit of gentleness or humility when they encounter a situation like that, they have the, the ability to, to calm the situation, right? Because the gentleness, the humility, comes out in their responding. And this word gentleness, Aristotle said this about it, gentleness is the ability to bear reproaches and slights with moderation, and not to embark on revenge quickly, and not to be easily provoked to anger, but be free from bitterness, and contentiousness, having tranquility and stability in the spirit. Some great words about what gentleness is. Now, Jesus himself exhibited great gentleness and humility of spirit. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, it says, or Jesus is talking, and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the gentleness of Jesus was seen in that he wanted to lighten our burden. He wanted to give us rest. He wanted to walk with us. He wanted to carry the load with us. He was gentle on the need, our need, that we were weary, we were tired, we were struggling. And he comes alongside and he says, let me help you. Let me unburden you. Let me give you a little extra strength. Let me give you the rest that you need. He wants us to support us in that time. It even says here that he is gentle and humble in heart. See, Jesus showed humility when he took on flesh, leaving his heavenly throne to take on flesh to dwell among us. He showed humility when he allowed himself to be arrested and tried and beaten and crucified. He showed humility when he gave himself fully for us. Why? Because he knew our need and he knew that only he could provide the answer for our need. Only he could cover our sin with his righteousness and impart to us his righteousness. And so he humbled himself so that he could come to this earth and do this for us. And then he says to us, you too, humble yourself before others so that you can bless them, so that you can benefit them, so that you can lift them up in their time of need. The last fruit is the fruit of self-control. And the fruit of self-control implies that there's a battle going on within us. There's this divided battle, right? There's this battle between the good that God wants us to do and the bad that Satan wants us to do, right? And this bad is, is our sinfulness working within us, right? And it's constantly trying to pull us away from God and that plan and that will that God has for our life. And so we're struggling. We're struggling to, to know what is right and to, to do what is right. In the book of James we're told this in James 1, 13 and 14. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. See, Satan comes to us and he, and he puts things in front of us to entice us, right? He knows what, what our sin, sinfulness is. He knows what we're we're leaning towards, right? And he'll put that in front of us. And he'll try to entice us to do the wrong that he wants us to do, the wrong that will lead us away from God, out of God's presence. And we need the fruit of the spirit of self-control to say, no, I will not give in to that. I will not give in to that temptation. I will not be enticed by that. And I focus myself on Jesus. I focus my eyes on that which is good and, and trustworthy and noble and right and pure. If we were to make a list of some of the temptations that exist out there, there would be things like anger and, and lust and coarse language and gossip and deceit, deceit and, and cheating and, and so many other things, right? There's, the list could just go on and on and on. There's so many things in our world that could entice us. I don't know what your temptation is, but Satan does. And he sets that in front of you. And he says, what about this? You want to do this? Do you want this? And we're enticed. And we're led to say, hmm, maybe. Maybe I do want that. And God says, no, I have imparted in you this fruit of self-control so that you can be controlled and you cannot give in to that temptation. Oops. Uh, James 1, 19 to 20. 
My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, this, this idea of being slow to react, slow to act upon that which entices us, is important, right? If we're slow to act, then we can begin to say, Holy Spirit, fill me with your self-control. Help me to be controlled. Help me to not give in to that which is in front of me. Hunters have a very interesting way of, uh, some hunters, uh, native hunters, of catching a monkey. See, they'll take a coconut and they'll cut the coconut in half. And then they'll hollow out the coconut and they'll cut a little hole in one side of the coconut. And then they'll put an orange in the coconut and they'll, they'll glue the coconut back together. They'll tie a rope to it and they'll put it on the tree. And the, the monkey will smell the orange and come to the coconut, see the orange in the coconut, reach in and grab the orange. Now here's the interesting part. Once that monkey has the orange in his hand, he cannot pull his hand out of the coconut. At any time, the monkey could let go of the orange and pull his hand out, right? But the monkey wants the orange so bad that the, the monkey will fight with the orange, and while he's struggling to get the orange, the hunters come and catch the monkey. I think that's a great illustration of what Satan does for us, right? Satan puts out that enticement, that orange, whatever that orange is for us, and we grab that orange, but we can't really get it out. And while we're struggling, the longer we struggle, the more we're giving in to that temptation. At any time, we could let go of that orange, that, that temptation, and we could walk away. The, the question is, will we? See, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. See, that's the letting go of the orange, the denying ourselves. I don't want that. I want what God wants for me. What God has for me is better. I'm going to let go of that. I don't want that. And I'm going to walk away, right? I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up the cross. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to do what Jesus has for me. It's, I need to understand it's much better than anything I could possibly desire. And what's even better is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Paul says, no temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But what? But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Isn't that an amazing verse? God, every time, gives us a way out. We sin, and then we maybe look back and say, you know, God was directing me this way, wasn't he? And, and I didn't listen. I didn't look at that. I didn't do what God was telling me to do. I didn't let that interruption interrupt me enough, so I let go of that orange. But God provides a way out every time, so that when we're tempted, if we just exhibit that self-control, we will be able to avoid that temptation and not sin. See, temptation is not sin. It's when you give in to the temptation and you do the act, that's when it's sin. And so God says, I provide a way out for you. Take it. Be self-controlled and take it. Jesus gives us the perfect example with the Spirit of God flowing through him. He was able to overcome the desires of the flesh. With the Spirit of God 
flowing through him. He was able to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Hebrews 4.15, we are told, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus understands our temptation. He was human. He was tempted. He understands. When you come to him, you say, Jesus, this is hard. I want to do this, but I know I shouldn't do this. Jesus understands that temptation. But he also knows what it, what it takes to not give in to the temptation, as he did not sin. And we need to follow Jesus' example and say, okay, I'm not going to give in. See, Paul says in Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, if you follow those desires of your flesh, if you give in to that temptation, you will die. But if, the, if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. And the only way that we can put to death the misdeeds of the body is through the fruit of self-control being at work within us. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Run in such a way as to get the prize. We are running a race, the race of life. And God says, I know it's tough. I know it's challenging. I know you have sinful desires. I know that Satan is trying to pull you away from me. I know that, that he's trying to get you to go a different direction, a different path. But I have the prize for you. Run on this path that I have for you. And to do that, to be victorious with this war within us, we need the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We need that fruit of the Spirit at work in and through our lives. And so I pray as we finish this series that it, you would allow the, the Holy Spirit to, to bear this fruit in your life all the more, each and every day. You might even make a little checklist, right? How am I doing with these nine things today? Oh, I think I did these three, but these six were not so good, right? Constantly keep it in front of you. How is love? How am I loving? How, am, I, am I experiencing the joy of God? Am, am I at peace in my life? Am, am I being faithful to God? Am, am I self, you know, go through that checklist and, and let that be a reminder, a constant reminder of what God wants to do in and through your life. Let us pray.